Welcome to the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. My name is Jeanette Cochran. I'm a pastor, women's leadership coach, and self-proclaimed Jesus feminist. I'm on a mission to inspire and equip women everywhere to own our voice, speak up, create, and lead wherever God calls. Because when women rise, everyone wins. Welcome back to the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. I'm recording this episode in October. October is a big month for me. It's my birthday. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And this year, October marks four years that I am a breast cancer survivor. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Brooke Whitson. Brooke is a creative visionary leader on my team at Seneca Creek Community Church. And like me, her life has been significantly impacted by breast cancer, only in a slightly different way than mine. So in our conversation, we talk about leading ourselves through a major life crisis, suffering, grief, and mindset, and ultimately rising from the ashes. It's real and raw. We get vulnerable. Each of us at moments fights to hold back tears. But I wanted to just bring you into a a part of our conversation to raise your awareness about breast cancer and how it affects women. But mostly, I hope that our stories will give you encouragement and inspiration to overcome the pain or the obstacles that you may be facing in your life today. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Brooke. Thanks for having this conversation with me today, Brooke. I'm a breast cancer survivor, also are a survivor really in some sorts. Why don't you first share a little bit of how breast cancer has touched your life? Okay. Well, um, I grew up in the South where cancer is pretty prevalent. There was a long history of cancer in my family. I had always known that people in our family had breast cancer, not close or personally. But then when I was 26 years old, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. She actually went and got a mammogram while I was on my honeymoon. I had just gotten married. And so the day we came back, we got off the boat and we got that news. Um, My mother had breast cancer and she fought it for two and a half years and beat it the first time it recurred. She beat it a second time and then it came back a third time. And eventually in 2015, uh, she passed away. So I guess I had always known of breast cancer. I had always had experience with it. I had worn the pink ribbons pretty much my whole life every year when October came around. But it wasn't until my mom's diagnosis that it got really personal to me and it became part of my story. I was diagnosed with breast cancer about two weeks before my 50th birthday. And in my family, there was no breast cancer. So I really, I, you know, I'd always known about breast cancer and sometimes worn the pink ribbons, but it never touched me personally. I never imagined that I would get breast cancer. So I was quite shocked when I found out I had it. And in 2018, I was diagnosed and then I had a mastectomy 
And then I had to go through chemotherapy for six months and all the things. I consider myself a four-year survivor. People always try and figure out which date do you choose for the survival date for me? It's the date I realized I had it because the day they said you have cancer was the day I was a survivor. It's touched both of us in different ways. And I imagine just the challenge it's been for you having to go on without your mom and how much you miss her. Because I think for myself of like, I didn't want my daughter to be there, right? And now here you are and you're a mom of your own. So every day I'm super aware of breast cancer. Definitely. Just because I am a mother and I like to say I'm, I'm one of the founding members of the Motherless Mothers Club because I was only 28 years old. None of my friends who were in the same stage of life with me were experiencing what I was going through, but it didn't take long before I started finding more and more and became more friends with mothers who are motherless uh, because of breast cancer. It's not as uncommon as you might hope that it would be, but being in that season, in that stage that we're in right now, every morning you wake up with some new mothering challenge and you think the person who would have the answer for this is not someone I can call. And so that comes up every day. Um, yeah, that that desire to pick up the phone and get mothering advice from your mother never goes away. Yeah. How have you gotten through this? There's a saying out there that says when difficulties come, you can either become bitter or you can become better. And, and there's a lot of reasons to think this is not fair And to really focus on what you've lost, how have you been able to get better and not sit in bitterness? Well, it certainly wasn't instant. I did sit in the bitterness for a while, um, just because the pain was so fresh and so real. And it, it caused kind of an identity crisis for me, because I'm a mother without a mother. So I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm a Christian without my faith source here. I think she was constantly replenishing and empowering my faith because my faith grew with her. It was like I was intertwined into her relationship with Christ, led my relationship with Christ. And so without her, there was that gap of like, who am I? If she's not here, who am I? So it took some time to get through that bitterness at first. And then to kind of come to a breaking point of this isn't going to be your life. This can't be your life. There are other people around you who depend on you. They need you to show up as your best self. Uh, And so I had to do some soul searching and kind of reroute in what is my faith and what does that look like for me? And then give myself permission to discover faith on my own, to decide who I am and what is my ministry and what do I want out of life and how am I going to get there? And I struggled with that a little bit just because, you know, my mom was in the church. She played the piano. My dad was a deacon. Like we had done church a certain way my whole life. That was the the worldview that I was coming into it with. And then without her rerouting, rediscovering my faith, I found ways of, of seeking God and connecting with God that were so different from what I grew up with. And I kind of wanted her to be here to give me permission, you know, because my faith was linked to hers. I needed her to say, yeah, that's okay. You know, praying through journaling, that's okay. Doing things a little bit differently. Going to a church where they raise their hands when they're singing, that's okay. So that's how I made the switch between bitter and better. 
was kind of lining up my faith for myself. What does this look like for me? And then having to lean into that source, having my own personal source of life there and encouragement and just kind of falling into the arms of Jesus. Mm. Yeah, I'm a very positive person by nature. And those who know me would probably say, you know, that I always, I kind of have rose colored glasses, but, you know, with a diagnosis like breast cancer and with losing your mother, these are huge losses. And so I had some of that time too. I remember the first week of my diagnosis, spending several sleepless nights sitting on my couch in my living room, just really crying out to God and asking for peace. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to cry out to God until I find that peace. And it took a good week (laughs) to get to the place where I wasn't terrified. And I I had enough peace to be able to get up and figure out what do I got to do the next day? Because that was in the time frame where, and your mom probably went through some of this without you even knowing. It sounds like she, she was trying to get her ducks in a row and figure out what the situation was, you know, before she... Um, told it to you similar to what I did with my kids, but you know, like, okay, I got to have the biopsy and then I got to find out what does the biopsy say? And then I got to find out what is the treatment? You want all these answers. And in the beginning, oh my goodness, an hour felt like an eternity because you get the diagnosis and then it's like, okay, now you got to go see a doctor and that doctor can't see you for a week. And you're just supposed to go back into your life get up and go to work tomorrow and what's for breakfast and what's for dinner. And yet, you know, this is hanging over your head. So it was so difficult hour by hour. And so I do remember kind of the same thing that you're saying, like, just being honest before God, like, this is hard right now. And I'm not okay. I knew I needed to go to my source. And that was to say, God, you got to help me with this. I don't know how you're going to do this. I just know I need that strength to be able to go forward. There were many days that I just needed to be alone. And I just needed to feel my feelings. Sometimes in Christian circles, because the pain can be so hard, so overwhelming, we want to get beyond it, but there's no way except just feeling it and acknowledging it. Yeah. I think there's definitely some cultural aspect to that, that it's easier to bear if you pretend like it's not there. And you'll find that the longer you try it, that's just not true. Um, And the hope is that when you have like that relationship, that faith that you have a place that's safe where you can just go and sit in those feelings. And I mean, just read the book of Psalms. You can cry out and shout whatever you need to say. And in the end, God is still God. Eventually, I was able to turn a corner and I I started to get some strength of like, I can do this. I'm going to fight with all that I have and I'm going to trust God for the outcome. And so I'm wondering, was there a turning point for you when you had to muster some strength to keep moving forward? Yes. And I think it was probably three and a half years after she had gone. So she's it's just celebrated an anniversary of this. My mom has been gone for seven years. And I'm, I'm sure that the first half, the first three and a half years was the darkest period for me. Um, probably takes a lot longer than other people would say they're comfortable with grieving. But that's how long it was. And I hit three and a half years. And I thought, this is not what my mother would have wanted for me. Like if she was watching me right now, she is brokenhearted over the way that things have turned out. And 
you know, people give you all those platitudes of you'll see her again. I'm like, yes, I know that there's hope in that. But then people would always say, well, this is just a part of God's plan. And I think that's what kept me in that bitterness for so long. It's like, I can't believe that. I can't believe that the God who created Eden and created man and woman to be with him and community with him. This, that was what he designed the perfect garden and the life where there are no tears and no troubles for any of us. That was his design. This design where we live in a broken world and there is cancer and sickness and troubles of all kinds that shatters families. That's not what he wanted. That's not what he wanted for me. That's not what he wanted for her, but he is always working for the good in every situation. And so I think that was the point where I got to, I'm not going to stop listening to people saying that this was God's plan. I'm going to stop believing that. I'm going to believe that God's plan has to do with me now and not with her. And so if there is beauty to come out of the dust, if there's a phoenix to rise out of the ashes, it is me. And I need to step into that and consider this like a divine setup to just step up and say, okay, God, I know you can do something. I know you can't take away the pain. I know you can't bring her back but I'm here right now and I know you can use me for something that is good. What's it going to be? Yeah, that's such a good point. I think this idea that sometimes we quickly say, well, everything is a part of God's plan is a simplistic way to speak about something that we really don't know the mystery of it, right? Because obviously God is God. He could have stopped this from happening. Yes. But that doesn't mean that he caused it. I never did ask that question, how me, or God, why would you do this? I guess just my understanding of God and my walking with God, that was never a question. Everybody at some point is going to experience suffering. This is the way it is. And I don't think God caused it. And instead I was looking to the Lord more as like, okay, God, you've always been here for me in the past. And now I need you in a way that I never have before. Now I, I was more super aware of, you know, the phrases that we use that God is our deliverer. God is our rescuer. God is our life. It was like, yeah, like my life is in his hands and this could go totally south or I could be completely healed. When we're going through a difficult time, looking for answers of like, God, why really is futile. It's normal to ask that, but I don't think we're going to find the answer we're looking for when we ask, why did this happen? Why did it have to be this way? I think there are better questions to ask and have to work through grief. And then at some point you changed the question and the question became, now what for me? So how have you answered that? How has God revealed that for you? What is your life now? even in spite of or in light of this journey that you've walked? That's a good question. Um, I don't think all of the answers have been put together yet. There are a lot of people who are hurting, a lot of people who are grieving, and you have the unique opportunity to empathize and walk with people in these stories because you've lived that story. When it's part of your story, you can speak into a lot of other people's stories. Um, so I've met a lot of motherless mothers in the past few years, and we've had this camaraderie. We kind of feel a void for each other because when there are moments when you can't call your mom and you need someone to talk you through that moment, you know someone who you can call 
And I'm so happy that for several of my friends, that's me, that I can be there for them in that moment because I know the next moment might be mine. It might be me who's in need of that. And just recognizing that there are seasons where you are serving others and there are seasons where you are there to be served. And so I spent the first few years of my grief just being served. I couldn't, I couldn't show up for anybody. But now that I've emptied that season, I've walked away from that bitterness and I still have bitter days. I won't lie to you about that, but this is my season to serve. And so I'm not entirely sure on all the different places that I would be called to, but I know um, that there's power in the shared story, right? So I've led one small group on grief where we had a bunch of people from within our church who had just recently lost parents or best friends loss of career, loss of job, divorce, so many complicated losses. And we're able to just come together and walk with each other and help everyone to see that their experience is valid. I feel like a lot of people are just looking to be seen in the place that they are because our culture is, you know, kind of get over it, move on, get back to work. And people are suffering in silence. And so I just had this incredible opportunity to see people as they're suffering and to show up for them when they need someone to show up. Yes, I definitely have seen your gifts shine in that area. And it reminds me of the scripture. I think Paul talks about that God comforts us so that we then can give that same kind of comfort to others. And so it doesn't take away the loss, but to redeem it in a way, I think you can walk that road. You can minister to people in a way that others can't because you have experienced that. And I know you would have rather have it a different way, but it's still beauty from ashes that God is bringing to your story. When I was going through my diagnosis, God really clarified for me in that season that I needed to invest in mentoring and coaching women leaders very specifically. I'd spent so much time in my life really trying to move away from the segregation of men and women in the church because I was so frustrated by the way women were always segregated that I never really leaned into the uniqueness of women leaders. And I had a full medical team and all of those doctors were women and they were specifically women of color. I was so grateful for them. And I remember walking out of a, appointment after appointment thinking, I'm so grateful that it is 2018 and more women are going to college and getting an education because I needed that breast surgeon, right? That that is super smart and was so compassionate. Not only did she explain everything to me and she was highly recommended and a great surgeon, but uh, she stopped and sat with me in my tears and treated me as a human being. I remember being on the, the biopsy table and there were all women nurses around me and feeling like, I'm so glad these women were so compassionate and so uh, understanding. And not to take any way anything away from men, but they don't have breasts. They've never had babies. They don't have any idea what it's like to find a lump on your breast, right? So I remember thinking, God, thank you that all of these women are here to serve me in this way. And 
And so it was through that, that I was just so grateful for their gifts. And I remember thinking, we absolutely need the gifts of women everywhere. Through that journey, God really solidified, really need to start speaking specifically into the uniqueness of women and women's leadership and investing in women. This podcast is one of the things that's been birthed through that journey of God saying, Jeanette, this is your work to do today. And I don't know if I would have heard that message as clearly if I had not gone through breast cancer. I'm not saying that that makes it okay or that I would ever choose it, but it's something that has come out of it that's good. And that's the silver lining. That's the power of your positive thinking and the positive mindset that even now, four years past it, I can look back. And I remember that it hurt. And I remember I was scared, but I can see the fruits that were bared from this process. And I can see the good and I can thank God for the redemption in my story. Yeah, that's so true. There are still hard days, right? Cancer stole some things. I'm not going to let it steal more of my life. And I suspect your mom would feel the same way. There are losses that you will never regain, but I suspect she would not want cancer to get anything more. Even in those hard days, I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to work through the suffering or the grief for the day, and then I'm going to move forward and I'm going to make something of my life because cancer's not going to win. I actually had a conversation with someone at church about this yesterday because we were serving in the food pantry. As he was leaving, he said, you know, today is 30 years since my father died. And I'm so glad that I got to serve these people on this day the way that I know my father would have. And that was shocking to me because I didn't even know that this coworker of ours had already lost both of his parents. But I identified with that because I have those hard days. I have the anniversary and my mom's birthday. In the first few years, I would take the day off and stay at home and order a pizza and just make room, like live in that dark space and give grief the space that it needed to work itself out and to find healing. And there will still be those days. But this year, I did still take the day off on the anniversary, but I didn't sit in my room. The curtains were not closed. I went and did things that I thought would make my mother happy. So I went to a coffee shop and sat down and had a coffee by myself. And I went to a bookstore, a secondhand bookstore, and just browsed for three hours. I just walked and found books that I thought she would have liked and found a cookbook. I found six cookbooks. I bought six cookbooks <laughs> because we loved cooking together. It was some experience that we had. And so, yeah, it was a hard day. There's so much sadness in it. But by shifting that mindset and thinking of, should I spend this day re-experiencing all that pain or should I spend this day seeking joy? And that's what I chose to do. And that when you keep showing up, you keep leading in that way, looking for the joy in the pain it becomes an example for those that you are leading who are going through whatever losses they're going through or any kind of crisis. And they see that, yeah, well, maybe this is what I should try doing instead of, I mean, still make room for my hard days. In the beginning, you're going to need them. You need to let grief take the journey that it's going to take you on, which is going to look different for everybody. But there is joy that comes in the morning and looking for it can help you get through those hard days. But I like in your story, there's the joy, but you work for it, right? You had to choose joy on that day and you felt like you were ready. You're not like sitting there waiting for it. Like when I start feeling joy, then I'll be joyful. And 
that is one of the beautiful gifts that I've gotten through this is realizing that joy is a choice. And so often we can spend our life thinking, well, if I feel happy, then I'll be happy. But we can choose our thoughts and we can choose to pursue joy. And I'll give another example. I was in this group on social media for breast cancer survivors. And there was a lot of conversation about preparing for chemo and getting through all that. And I remember several people talking about just getting through it, like just get through the six months. Here's what you do. And you just got to remember that you just got to get through it and appreciated all their advice. But the Lord was really speaking to me. And I just felt like, wait a minute, every day is a gift. Every hour is a gift. And I thought, I don't want to live the next six months just getting through. And so in that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm I'm not going to just get through this. I'm going to figure out a way to thrive and to grow and to use even this season of going through chemo to be a season that is good and that is flourishing and productive. And I'm not going to say like, oh, when it just happened, it was easy. It, it wasn't easy. And there were hard days. But even in those hard days, I was learning things about myself and I was learning things about life and God that I would not have learned any other way. But there were days I would wake up and I was like, not feeling it. And I was like, no, I'm going to choose joy today. I started a gratitude journal and it really was not hard to find small things that I was grateful for in this season. For example, when I could drink a cup of coffee on a stomach that could handle it, I really felt joy over that. And helped me to realize how many times I would drink my coffee in the morning and not realize what a gift that was that I had a stomach that could digest it, you know, but when you're going through chemo, you don't always have that. And so it was like saying, I'm, I can be joyful today. I'm going to choose joy because this coffee went down and I was able to enjoy it. And then even today, I see my doctors regularly. I have some treatments that I'm undergoing to reduce my risk of recurrence. And there are side effects and there are impacts to my life. And probably the only people that know really what those are are my husband and daughter, my sons. Because occasionally when I'm having a hard day, I'll talk to them about it. This sucks. <laughs> I'm still experiencing some of the things that cancer took from me, but I'm not going to let it have more of my life. I'm going to choose joy. And I'm going to go forward because I'm still here and God still has a purpose for me. For those who may be listening and are going through their own life crisis, maybe it's a loss, maybe it's an illness, got to grieve the losses and grieving is never fun, but you got to do that. And then at some point when you're ready and you'll know when you're ready, you have to choose joy. You can't just wait for it to, to show up. And those mental practices, the way that you have found joy in the past before your crisis might not work for you afterwards. So look first, look for something new, ask for advice. I started a manual journaling and doing centering prayer and all of these things that I had never even heard of while my mother was alive, but I was in a different place. My faith was in a different place and it looked new. And those were practices that I found really helped me reconnect and open open up my mindset and my view just to look for that joy because it brought me kind of out of the darkness. Uh, yeah, I recommend those a lot. <laughs> As we get ready to cl close out here, what hope 
or encouragement might you give to someone who's listening on and they are going through their own life crisis? The hope that I wish I had had was just knowing that you are not alone and that your experience is valid, however it looks. You do not need to be ashamed of the way that you are grieving and know that you can be grieving, even if it's a job or a relationship or a diagnosis, you can grieve while you're still living and not be grieving the death of someone you know. We're grieving things all the time. And it's not something that everyone is talking about, but it's something that almost everyone is going through. So you're not alone. You can journey through it however makes sense to you. It's definitely not a 12-step program like they say that the five stages of grief are. You're not going to get to the finish line and then get a medal and say, congratulations, you survived that. Your journey is going to look the way that it needs to look for you. And you need to find the joy and the practices that bring you joy and the community that's going to help hold you up through that. I would add to know that when you're in the midst of it, especially maybe at the beginning where you're still just trying to find your footing and trying to figure out a way forward to know that God is there with you and God is for you cling to God's promises that he is a good God. And in time, you will get through it. You will get to a better place and God is there with you. And then I want to remind everyone listening to make sure you get your mammogram. And if you've got breast cancer in your family, like Brooke, Brooke is doing a lot of preventative things, knowing that she has it in her family. Any advice there on the questions or, or what to do as far as preventative care, Brooke? Yeah, information is definitely power when it comes to prevention here. So you need to know your risk. There are so many surveys online from hospitals and clinics and oncologists that you can take. that will kind of tell you what your relative risk is just based on your family history. You can always do genetic testing to get like a numerical answer on that. What is my actual risk just based on my genetics? And I know genetics aren't everything, but it's a piece of the puzzle. Um, So just gather all that information from all of these wonderful researchers who are discovering ways that you can prevent cancer ever affecting you between diet and exercise, early screenings, get your mammograms, get your MRIs, and get connected with a good team who is aware of what your risks are. And they're going to champion for you and make sure that you're doing everything possible to stay as healthy as you can for as long as you can. Great. Thank you so much for that. And if you're able to support organizations that are funding research, and that's what October is about, it's reminding folks about this awful disease. And so in the name of someone in your life that has been a fighter and a warrior, go out and walk for them. Or many of you listening, you may walk for yourself or donate for yourself in one of the breast cancer walks. Any day is a good day to support breast cancer research. So I encourage you to do that. Well, Brooke, this has been great. I've just so appreciated your leadership. You work on our team at my church. And so I've so appreciated that. And we have this heart connection here as well, because we have both been touched in significant ways by breast cancer. I appreciate you being willing to come on and to be vulnerable and to share your story. Oh, thank you. And yes, I highly encourage mammogram friends make one, get on the same schedule so you can text them like, Hey, I just had mine. Have you scheduled yours? 
Yeah, I have a few mammogram friends who keep me in check and make sure that I'm going. So if you're listening, when you're ready to start scheduling them and screening, get a friend who's going to check in with you and make sure that you're going regularly. Great idea. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it with other women in your network. For more information about me and the work that I do, check out JeanetteCochran.com. And I'd love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social. You can find me on Facebook at Coach or Instagram at Jeanette.Cochran.com.